Welcome to Pod Rocket. I'm Brian. Uh, that's Paul. And with us is uh, Nader. Hello. Hello, hello. Thanks for having me. Is uh, We are very excited uh, to have you today. Um, we are... Well, let's see. Uh, everyone should know me who listens to the the episodes or to Pod Rocket. Generally speaking, Paul is a software engineer uh, at Log Rocket and uh, likes crypto. Is that accurate, Paul? Pretty accurate, yeah. Pr- fairly accurate. I like it. <laughs> Great. Yeah. Um, now, when people ask you what you do, what do you tell them? So I'm a developer relations uh, person, and uh, that's kind of like falling all over the spectrum of of what you might not really know if you've never kind of like dived into this role before been doing this for like maybe five years including four years like full-time and then a year before that just with my own company and um devrel to me is like the most fun if you're going to be working like for a company for someone personality like me is the most fun because we get to travel we get to experiment we get to meet people and we get to kind of just like shit posts on social media and get paid for it. So it's, it's really fun. I, li- I like it. So I can't really explain what I do other than really the core thing. I think that if you're um, focused on DevRel, you might kind of want to do is just make developers successful and happy. And if you can do that, you're probably doing DevRel right. And how you get there doesn't really uh, matter all that much, I think. I never heard anyone describe DevRel as uh, shit posting on social media as like, you know, for a job, but it does, it is, uh, uh, <laughs> it's very honest, but also super accurate and helpful. Um, but you also kind of have a passing interest in Web3, crypto, et cetera, blockchain. Yes, fair to say? Yeah, yeah, totally. It's, it's definitely what I'm uh, doing right now and what I'm most passionate about right now. Yeah. So uh, for this episode, um, what I'm hoping to do is really to talk about, um, you know, not only what you're interested in, uh, in that space, but why, um, and then, uh, and then the kind of the good things, right? Like, if you're listening to this episode right now in your car or while washing dishes or whatever, like, there'll be no arguing here today. Like, I, I don't, you can find that on the internet. What I'm most interested in is, uh, hearing the enthusiastic side. Um, so yeah, I mean, I, I think maybe the best place to start for that is, uh, I saw a tweet from you, um, on December 5th, if you're looking for it, just like, this is the tech that I'm most interested in, uh, for 2022. Um, and it starts with Solana and, and, and graph. Um, so maybe that's a kind of an interesting place to start. Why? Like why? Yeah. Like what are those things? I'm not going to make it go down the list of like eight or nine things that you put, but yeah. Yeah. So, I mean, I'll often kind of share these like updates of what I'm working on and what I'm interested in. And it definitely changes, you know, over time. And um, in general, I would say one of the things that has stuck with me for the last four years straight has been like, if you look at that list, the probably the, the main things you might see four years ago, as far as as well as today would be like GraphQL. You might see things around uh, managed services like AWS and stuff. But um, in April of 2021, which is, of course, this year, I left AWS. I was a manager of the developer relations team for front-end web and mobile um, senior role and also was like on track to be principal role. And it was, you know, a very like comfortable position, making a good money and, and having a good time and all that. And I kind of like just completely left that to join 
a startup that was in the Web3 space that had just been created like a month or two before that. And um, the whole idea of like why I left kind of goes into the answer to that question, <laughs> I guess you could say, because like, why would someone leave like such a great, comfortable role and have, and I had other opportunities out there making more money, like base salary um, and a lot more, I would say, consistent place and you know, to be like with uh, a lot less potential, maybe downside or, or whatever people might think when they kind of look at this from the outside. Um, and the answer to that is that, you know, I've been speculating and just like playing around with crypto since like 2015, but I never really dove into the actual technological aspect of it. Like, why does it exist? Why does, why is this stuff here? And, um, you know, I was always really just not going past the, the very like surface area, I guess you could say of any of these different protocols. So in late 2020, early 2021, I was looking into the graph protocol, which is a, um, it's, it's actually what I work with the most now, but it's a, a protocol for querying blockchain data and it uses GraphQL. So like as a GraphQL person, that caught my attention and I was like, oh, wow, this is, um, you know, a technology that I use at AWS. Like what in the hell are they doing it with blockchain? What does this have to do with anything? And I kind of like dove into this rabbit hole and um, I completely just got fascinated by it and I couldn't stop thinking about it. And I was I just had so much fun reading and, and playing around with this stuff uh, that it made like all of the other work that I was doing seem so boring. And, um, you know, that list essentially is kind of like a list of the things that make me feel that way today. You know, like what are these things that not only are really fun to use, but you can actually build stuff with that are maybe um, things that are some of those are, are very mature, but some of them are kind of like not so mature and they have a lot of potential future upside. So um, the ones that you mentioned were like uh, Solana. Um, so a Solana is essentially just a layer one blockchain and there are probably countless layer one blockchains. And and if you think of a blockchain, maybe as someone that hasn't really dived too deep into the differences between them, you have um, a handful of different blockchain types that are out there, I guess you could say. You have something like Bitcoin, which is really only useful for financial or sending like, you know, a Bitcoin back and forth. But what's interesting to me are these smart contract platforms where you can actually execute code and write logic and, and basically have a computer that you can interact with. And uh, Solana is just one of those layer one uh, smart contract platforms. And uh, it's interesting to me because one of the biggest problems in blockchain is scalability. And when you hear about people arguing against the viability of blockchain, they'll often mention the throughput and, uh, and things like that. But uh, so Ethereum, for instance, is like 45 transactions per, per second, which is really, really bad, <laughs> you know, especially if you compare that to something like DynamoDB, which is, you know, potentially millions or, or more of transactions maybe uh, per second or, or whatever. Um, well, Solana scales to like six or 700,000 transactions per second. And um, it's one of the really big innovations, I would say, that have, that has happened in, in this space that kind of enables that scalability that 
people are thinking of when they think of this global adoption of, of, of blockchain and Web3 and stuff. So Solana, yeah, is essentially just a really high scale layer one blockchain with its own set of trade-offs. You'll hear people like say why they think it's good, why they think it's bad. But if you think about something like Visa um, and, and you talk about this transaction layer for monetary transactions, uh, Solana is kind of like the first one I would say that is in production that people can write code for that actually scales to that level. Solana has a lot of cool stuff coming out. I think one of the most interesting things that I've seen with Solana is the Pith network. Uh, that's I don't know if you've heard of that, but it's you know the 400 millisecond block times giving you real time network data of like different securities being traded, and it's really high resolution data and something you can only get with the Solana with that type of like really fast blockchain, like you were talking about. Um, one of my questions I had for you, Nadar, was, um, so you're working on the graph heavily, right? Which is all about making blockchain data, like data accessible. And the graph was kind of formulated around the central idea of like making Ethereum accessible and me being a developer, I'm like, well, that sounds great, right? I can run my own little subgraph. I can collect tokens. I can serve data up. But it kind of makes me think about, okay, well, if we put that in the context of Solana, the amount of like gaps or spaces for like an end, somebody like myself to contribute to the network becomes like huge. It's mm-hmm. so vast because we're not talking about 14 TPS. We're talking about 700,000. Right. And <laughs> do you think, yeah, right. And so do you think that Right now, Ethereum is like the cornerstone of the graph network, at least from what I've been reading and a little bit I've been playing with it. So do you think that that's going to change and it's going to be overtaken by just like blockchains that have more space, informational space on them sort of in that way? Yeah, so there's a lot uh, to, to answer in that question. One of the things, though, that we've done this year is that we merged or you could almost say like Aqua hired a couple of different teams to solve this scalability uh, of data or this this exponential amount of data that, that you'll see in these other chains. So for instance, one of the teams that we brought in is called Streaming Fast. And uh, we did a deal with them for like $80 million or 80 million, actually not dollars, 80 million uh, GRT, um, which is depending on you know the day, it could be worth 50 to $100 million, was uh, basically to bring them in to help us uh, be able to index all of these more high throughput chains. So at Solana conference in Lisbon, we announced Solana support for the graph. So not only are we kind of um, supporting a lot of the Ethereum blockchains, like the ones that we started supporting early on, but we now support over two dozen different networks in addition to just level one Ethereum. And some of the most high priority ones for us to ship uh, production-ready support or Solana, um, as well as uh, we, we've already shipped near, but Solana is, we've already kind of built out the, I would say like infrastructure to make Solana work. And we're kind of testing it out right now and that should be out soon. So at the end of the day, you could think of uh, the graph. We want to support any public network data that we can, that that's out there and have like a, a, a public data graph of all blockchain data uh, in the world. So um, that's the ultimate goal. It's going to take a lot of work to get there. We currently support a lot of networks on the hosted service, which is kind of like the original centralized version of the graph. And we're now adding additional support to all these networks and the decentralized network. So um, a lot of work to do, but we already have 
you know, billions of queries per day being served, big DeFi projects are using the graph. Um, the more networks that we add, the more usage that we'll have. And um, yeah, it's it's a really cool thing to be working on because there are a lot of big challenges, but um, I think we're the first to, to be doing this. So it's pretty cool to kind of be part first of First I've heard of definitely like Solana's insane. I can't believe you're that far down the production pipeline of getting that type of data indexed and sorted. So right now this is all happening in-house at the graph in terms of your own central centralized store. And then the plan is to slowly allow this platform, you're, you're making the platform available to decentralize it naturally and like holistically as people, just the data need increases, right? Is that kind of yeah, the that, direction that they're graphing? Yeah, that's kind of in? the way you could think of it. We have like this core piece of technology called the graph node and the graph node runs not only on the hosted service, but also on the decentralized network. So you could think of like the hosted service is like the testing ground for us to ship a, a product that works. And then once we've gotten it working, you know, to where people are using it in production, we can now make it uh, decentralized. And that seems to be the pipeline of de- uh, of progressive decentralization that you'll often see in like Web3, where you have this ultimate goal of, um, of, data integrity and, um, you know, being able to have verif- verif- verifiability of the data being actual, ch- actually true. But to get there, you often kind of have to build it in a progressively decentralized manner. That, that's interesting. You say that you, you're doing the progressively decentralized manner. Cause yeah, I mean, like most projects do that, as you mentioned, they start with like a team with funding and sometimes some VC and then they like bubble out from there. Are there any projects you're aware of that bubble in versus bubbling out in terms of the decentralization strategy. I think LivePeer did did that. LivePeer is a really cool uh, network. LivePeer? Yeah, LivePeer. They're actually very, very, probably some of the best Web3 technology that's out there. It's at least 10 times cheaper than anything else that you'll see out there for live streaming services. So if you want to build something that is like, say you want to build Twitch or something like that, you can use this service. It's kind of like a replacement or an alternative to some of the AWS live streaming services. But yeah, they built out a decentralized network. And then now they're also building like a hosted version of that. So that way they can offer, I guess, both offerings. Interesting. Yeah, I've never heard of Live here. This is this is cool. Uh, we'll go take a look. Yeah, the at this team behind that is talk. really, 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 really good. I can't speak highly enough of them. Probably some of the smartest I mean, people out there. Dude, they have a landing page with an SVG animated globe. They must be good, right? <laughs> it, it looks great. Yeah, it's great. Uh, so, yeah, how do you... I, I was also kind of wondering, like, from somebody who's working on the graph and seeing the new, I guess we could call them customers, right, pop up and be using this network, what type of projects are you seeing pop up util- utilizing this new technology and... I guess as an extension to that question would be what type of technologies could you maybe see popping up once this is like truly decentralized that maybe can't happen right now naturally? Um, I think it's more about the, I don't think that it's going to change really the types of applications that are going to be able to be built because the data that they're going to be using should probably be consistent, whether it's, on the right the, true yeah the centralized network or not but i think that uh, it's interesting just in general to see that we are a downstream effect 
of whatever Web3 is is happening right now. So if DeFi gets really big, then we start seeing an influx of DeFi subgraphs. If NFTs start being popular, we start seeing an influx of those. So we're kind of like, you know, this down, we, we see the downstream effects of the entire Web3 ecosystem. And I also feel that we will grow and shrink based on the, the, amount of usage in the entire web three space. So like if the market grows by 10 X, our usage should grow at least by 10 X just because so many people in the web three space are just using subgraphs by default. Are there any ways that people are using subgraphs that you're seeing right now from the graphs point of view that are like really enticing or engaging that have caught your eye of, you know, make of making use of the successful data? One of the things that a lot of people want to do is have uh, what's called subgraph composition, where you can call one subgraph from an, from another subgraph, and then this kind of is the ultimate goal of like I wouldn't say it's the ultimate goal, but it's one of the big, huge, cool things about uh, blockchain and, and public data is that you can kind of like build upon it, and I think that that's something that's going to unlock a lot of innovation, and it's something that we're currently working on. Um, I'd say, I would say just like going through the graph explorer, you'll see all types of really interesting stuff going on. Um, I think that DeFi is, is interesting. And if you kind of see a lot of the stuff happening in, in the DeFi space, the way people are building out different views on top of uh, DeFi data and, and being able to figure out, I don't know, or just spot different patterns and what people are doing, right. that, that type of stuff is pretty interesting. Yeah. I don't know if you've heard of um, bounties that are going on in the DeFi space right now. Um, oh, yeah. You have. <laughs> yeah. I'm sure the graph is like really involved with people who are, you know, seeking to get involved with that because it's literally just go analyze some data for us and get paid for it, basically. Um, yeah, we had like you got- a bug a bug bounty, a $2.5 million bug bounty ourselves for our oh own contracts. <laughs> I think it was like wild. the biggest. That's huge. I think it was the biggest, the biggest bounty ever of any like software in the history of software. That's like a one and done bug bounty right yeah, there. Yeah, you just solve that bug or you find that bug and you can retire. <laughs> Did it get solved? Get well, it's, it's more of like an open, it's an open bounty. It's still there now. Like if you can find a vulnerability in the graphs contracts, then you can make that. You can claim that. That That's very interesting. So do you guys have in your minds any competitors, right? Every business has a competitor in your business, but it's a bit different because this is a business with a goal of like transparency and decentralization. So there are other companies out there that are serving indexing blockchain data. Um, there's other businesses and sectors that are being risen up from that. How does the graph kind of fit into that sector of, you know, SaaS companies? I think that anyone can build a centralized indexing service that does the functionality that uh, the graph does, I would say. Um, they can build it from scratch or they can probably build like some abstraction on top of it. But there aren't any, in my opinion, especially uh, <laughs> like competitors right now to what we're doing, especially in a decentralized way. Um, even if you kind of look at a lot of the stuff that Vitalik Buterin talking about around how we can efficiently scale the future of, of Web3 with all of the layer twos and these more high throughput. Um, we talked about his alternative paper. Yeah, all, like all these alternative scaling solutions for Ethereum. Um, it, it, the 
discussion, you know, of how to scale all this, this data and make it readable, like comes down to the graph. And I think that, um, we're so far ahead of like what you would have to kind of build to, to, to compete. It would be pretty hard not to say that there isn't going to be a competitor. In fact, I'm almost certain there will be at some point, um, because it's just such a, a valuable problem to solve that you're going to see a lot of people also probably trying to solve it. But I think that, um, building out a decentralized way to kind of solve this problem is, is a very, very hard problem to solve. Right. There's going to be a lot of, I mean, you're basically building up a whole new data economy from scratch yeah, right here. There's going to be yeah, a and, lot and of like, malignant players. And the, and, and the, I would say like the value and the importance of having the service be decentralized for uh, this type of service, especially is, is just so important because you need to be able to kind of take the important security principles of the chain itself and make that um, part of the protocol, right? So like, how do you guarantee that the data that is being read on chain is actually the data being indexed? So building out a network that enables that is kind of like the core value proposition that I think a lot of people don't realize when they first start looking at it. But once you understand the importance of, of that one thing by itself, you start realizing, okay, like the graph um, does solve that problem and it does so in a pretty, pretty cool way. It's definitely pretty cool. Yeah. Understatement, if anything. Um, so uh, on the topic of data validity and I guess integrity, how do you plan, how does you or the graph plan on making niche data um, trusted? Because if, if we're talking about Ethereum data, sure. Like everybody's reading that. I'm sure I'm going to do a subgraph whenever I finally figure this stuff out and get my stuff running. But like, we're talking about one of the thousands of layer one blockchains that you talked about at the beginning of our screencast right here. What about something like that that wants to get indexed that has two indexers and just a few delegators running around? Like, how do you plan on tackling that problem? Yeah, I mean, we have incentives built into the network that incentivize people to go and look for for uh, inaccurate data and, and it penalizes an indexer for for basically uh, running that subgraph. So um, I think that, you know, for, for subgraphs that are only being indexed maybe by one or two indexers, um, it might not be like the more people indexing, the more confident you can probably be, I would say, in, in that data validity. So I don't really know the answer to that. I think that um, over time, as we scale this thing out, we'll see that we'll be able to I guess, identify and uh, find better solutions to, to all these different problems. But in general, uh, the, the network has this into, taken into consideration where if data is invalid, the, the indexer is penalized and the fishermen, they call them, is um, rewarded for finding that vulnerability. Gotcha. Okay. So there's sort of like a seeker. It kind of reminds me of uh, validation slashing where it's like you know if you're not yeah, doing you your job right, you're gonna get <laughs> yeah, it you're gonna get right. slashed that's right, right. pretty right. heavily <laughs> yeah how could somebody who wants to get started with the graph get started in terms of being like their own indexer and stuff because i know you guys have like a ton of documentation out there and like the steps aren't difficult i guess but i think when people are starting the graph there's some more like big level questions about like if i index ethereum Am I just going to, you know, 
be another like brick in the wall, so to speak? Or should I really be looking for some valuable data that somebody wants? Uh, sort of like a secret, like mini index I can build up? Or should I be going and trying to find another like newly supported chain? From your perspective, what's the best, like most A, lucrative and B, like learning way for somebody to get involved? So, I mean, just learning if you want to participate in the network without any risk or, you know, or anything like that, you can just basically be a delegator, which allows you to um, have your GRT or your graph tokens and put them on an, another indexer. So you don't have to run your own infrastructure or anything like that. Really kind of low left thing to do. I think uh, going beyond that as a developer, identifying interesting data sets that you can kind of aggregate and put together in your own subgraph. So being a subgraph developer, there's a lot of upside to that. If you can kind of find some interesting ways to take existing smart contracts, just build your own view on top of that data and then put it on the network and then signal on that yourself. Um, if other people start using it, you start making money off of that or making tokens or earning tokens. I guess you could say, I shouldn't say like money, but um, yeah, that's pretty interesting. I think, for people listening to this, the idea of being a subgraph developer is probably the the best entry point because um, you can build out front ends and apps on top of it. You can also just participate in the network, and um, that's a great place to start, I think. Do you have any examples off the top of your head of a front end or an example app that a subgraph developer has done that has caught your eye or something that people could look at for reference? Yeah, you can go to the graph.com uh, and you can look in the hosted subgraphs and you can also go to uh, just the graph explorer so the graph explorer is uh, the or the decentralized subgraphs and then the other one is kind of like the uh the hosted service which are the centralized subgraphs and you can look and see all the different ones that are available there um some of the interesting projects lately i mean the art blocks is a popular like nft thing and, and that that subgraph has been doing really well um Someone from Open Zeppelin, and Open Zeppelin is the um, team that creates some of the most used smart contract um, bullet plates out there that implement the the standards like ERC twenty and ERC seven twenty one. They created Open Zeppelin subgraphs, which are ways to really, really easily build APIs on top of ERC twenty, ERC seven twenty one tokens. So, like without. Yeah, it's really, really nice and it's supported by them. So instead of having to kind of like write all of this code yourself, you can use their tool and just say, okay, these are the contracts addresses that I want to index. And like, you don't have to really write any other code than that. And you just like run a command and it spits out the entire subgraph for you. And it's so nice and it's so like easy to kind of get up and running with. And and the guy that built that, his name is like Hadrian, I think. He's just like a Hadrian? Yeah. He's so good. So why isn't Hadrian just running all the subgraphs, man? Like, what's going on? <laughs> he can just I mean, construct them like that. <laughs> he's doing all kinds of stuff. Um, yeah, he is. He has his That's own great. subgraphs, actually. Like um, that are that are that are indexed, and uh, yeah, he definitely is doing all kinds of stuff. He's a big participant in the in the um, that, ecosystem. Hey, That's Hadrian exciting. Krub so for anybody Krubboy. listening, look up Hadrian Crewboy. <laughs> look up uh, the Zeppelin subgraph tool. That's really exciting. I've thanks for sharing that. I haven't like heard anything about that um i've been wondering too about your opinions on DAOs and what's going on with the DAO space because i mean not recently like this month or anything but this year 2021 we now have dllcs in wyoming 
so you can register a DAO as an actual legal entity around an LLC yeah. in Wyoming, <laughs> which is pretty cool. Um, have you heard about the developer I, I, DAO? I have heard about the developer DAO. Yeah, that one, uh, I found it through some Discord channel that I was on. That one was really interesting. Oh, I saw you post about that on Twitter as well. So are you a part of the developer DAO? Yeah, I created the developer DAO uh, about three months ago. You did ago. create it. Yeah, yeah, I started that's, that. <laughs> that's, that's so cool. Here you are in the in in almost the flesh. That's awesome. So DAOs to what, me are just like with that? yeah, DAOs in general are just fascinating as hell to me because they just offer and and, and like when you talk about Web three, people often focus on the blockchain and they're like, oh, the blockchain like is good or it's bad or it sucks or it's good, whatever. Like they have their opinions on the, about the blockchain. But to me, like web three is like so much bigger. And that's, and even, even if the name web three is stupid to you, like, let's talk about just the, the impl- implications and the things that are made possible by this new technology that allows you to have digital scarcity and, and, um, and all this stuff. So DAOs are kind of like fall into that category because they don't, look like a technology when you look at them they just look like something really weird and you're just like what the hell is going on here but um but what they essentially enable is a new form of collective ownership um a new way to incentivize people to work together uh a new way and really just around a new incentive mechanism i guess you could say for people to to build together and, and to create things together. So the developer DAO is just a really great example of that because it was a very, it was just an experiment. I was like, okay, uh, what does a DAO look like? I looked at these other DAOs. Okay, so essentially um, one way to, to build a DAO is to kind of have like a, a community that's token gated. And in order to be part of that community, you have to have uh, this token. And for some DAOs, that token can be very expensive. So for instance, if you want to get in friends with benefits, uh, it was $20 to get in like a year ago. Now it's like six or seven or $10,000, whatever, depending on the the price of that um, token today. So like um, that to me was a good and a bad thing. It's good that you want to provide some type of civil resistance. So you don't have like a million people in there that are just like causing chaos, but you don't want to make it gatekeeping to where the average person can't get in. So I created this in a, this, uh, this ERC 721 contract and deployed it. And anyone that minted this, this, uh, NFT could get in, but I, instead of charging for it, I didn't charge anything for it. So there was no money involved. It was just, just go mint this thing and you can get in. And um, this was a really cool way to like scale up a community because now we have like 5,000 or so people that are, that are in there. And within three weeks, we started having investors like coming and being like, hey, we want to kind of like be part of this. And one of the earliest investors that we had valued what we had in three weeks at about $10 million. And they were like, we want to be a part of this and like in exchange for your future token allocation, we want to give you like half a million dollars. And this was like so early that we just, we're just blown away by it because we were like, wow, like is, is what we have even worth that much? And then like a month later, we're getting approached at like $30 million valuations and and more. So it's, it's wild to see that you can grow a community and this all happened within like two or three months. Um, by, taking advantage of like these new primitives and stuff. And we don't even really know what we're doing. Right. But like, there's people out there that have DAOs that are worth like three, $400 million and stuff like that. So like, um, I think DAOs are going to be the future maybe, or, or not the future. They're going to offer a really cool way for people to build 
build communities, build treasuries, build companies in the future. They're not going to replace anything. It's just giving you a new alternative. I think that's the core to this discussion of like the of what Web3 is. Some people are like really hating on it. Some people really like it. But at the end of the day, it's just offering new ways to do things. And it never hurts to be given a new way to do something because now you just have right. one extra a new way to think about it. Think about things. Yeah. A new way to think yeah. about things. I think uh, DAOs are really interesting too, because they're going to shed a lot of light on inefficiencies in the current way that we organize things. And they're going to shed light on the inherent right cost of like organization and orchestration of like humans, because the it, it just makes everything transparent. You can see and allows people to kind of circumvent those classical power structures. But yeah, to your point, I've heard the I've heard the argument many times of like, everything will be a down. That's definitely like not going to happen just because of the, we're human beings and, you know, not everything can work with computers, but having that option is going to be really cool. So what, what's like, do you have an end goal for the developer DAO? Is that like, uh, gonna, is that, is this like a main project you're working on? Is it kind of like it's set in motion and you're working with it? You're just going to see where it goes type of thing. Yeah. It's kind of set in motion and we have a core team that's working on it. Uh, one person's working on it full time. Um, the core, the missions, values, and goals of, of what the de- developer DAO is, is uh, mainly focused on public goods. So we want to create um, educational content that is completely free for everyone outside of the DAO. That's kind of like a core thing that we're focused on. So the way that we do that is like we curate some of the best Web3 content and just share it on our Twitter feed. Twitter's growing by like 10, 12,000 a month. Um, and people follow us and they're learning just by following us. So like to me, that's already kind of a win because like there is – before we came around, in my opinion, there was just no like really great curated Web3 learning content feed out there. Um, we're also doing events. So we're going to be doing conferences. Um, we're going to be doing, um, we've already done some live streams and stuff like that. So educational content, all of that's going to be completely free. You don't have to be a part of the DAO to do any of this stuff. You can follow us on Twitter for free. You can attend these events for free. Um, and then the next thing we're going to be doing with some of the treasury money that we now have is incubating projects from within. So if someone comes up and they're like, hey, I'll have this this cool idea for building out this thing, we might just like give them money, right? We'll just give them $50,000 and just say, go work on this full time. And uh, we may or may not have an expectation of like some type of deal, like partnership with them. We might just say, just take this and go build it. Or we might say, if you if you decide to like launch a token or something, then give uh, X percent back to the DAO, and then we can use that in our mm. treasury. So those are some of the ideas. But I think the main focus is around free public goods and, and public education that's free. It kind of reminds me of a similar setup to Polkadot, right? Where it was kind of an organization that got funding, and they're now like seeding projects. Um, but this is not from a company. This is a DAO, so it's gonna we can probably think in our minds we're going to have more decisions made in the best interest of community if it's decentralized by nature. Yeah, it's, right? it's, it's yeah. definitely, um, it's a, it's not an easy thing to accomplish as far as getting people together to agree on stuff, but there's a lot of cool stuff that is kind of in the category of DAO tooling. I think DAO tooling is another area that you're going to see a lot of innovation happening in the next year. Uh, because like you have now these groups of people wanting to do stuff, but how do you actually, accomplish the things that they want to do without chaos and discord is kind of chaos you know so like i think we're going to need improvements for those types of uh mechanisms but already great things are out there snapshot voting allows you to kind of 
propose things and have people vote on them using their tokens. You have these token gating mechanisms. You have, um, you know, a few other things that are out there that are kind of like you could consider DAO tooling. So I, I just haven't heard of some of these DAO tools. I was going to ask you to elaborate a bit. So we got snapshot uh, voting and that's to help uh, coordinate member like decision making. Yeah. Yeah. So like if we have okay. a proposal that we want to say, okay, we're going to do this big change in the DAO. Um, here's the link. And then you can go to that link and then basically it will uh, bring up your MetaMask or whatever your wallet is and you sign a transaction. And when you sign that transaction, then your vote goes to yes or no for this thing. Um, there's also a really cool one called Coordinate, uh, like Coordinate, but like an, an ape, like APE. And it allows uh, you, I love that. <laughs> yeah. It allows you to basically put um, people that have worked on things and allow the community to vote on how much that they should maybe like get paid for the, the work that they've done. So like you have a community of 5,000 people. How do you actually pay these people or give them tokens for the work that they've done? Well, we can say, okay, in season zero, we had these objectives and anyone that feels like they've worked on those objectives can, can basically nominate themselves into this, this coordinate pool. And then every person in the DAO is given like a hundred votes and you can take those hundred votes and you can say, Oh, uh, like Amanda, she crushed it on like the website. So I'm going to give her 50 of my votes and then I'm going to give 20 votes uh, to like, you know, John over here, whatever. And then, you know, whatever. So you, you can kind of like take these votes. And at the end of the voting period, you have like a $50,000 budget and you would just like distribute that $50,000 to the people that were in that coordinate pool. And that's how you allow um, payments to happen in, in, a, in a decentralized manner that isn't me saying, oh, my friend over here should get more money, but uh, but that might not be fair. This, this is like a right, more fair right. way of doing that. This is kind of like LinkedIn um, endorsements with actual value tied behind them, right? That that help you execute your payment and stuff. To yeah, and, it's, in a nutshell. and it's connected to your wallet. And I think that the idea of a wallet and um, decentralized identity and public key encryption could warrant an entire discussion in and of itself. But a lot of this stuff is just enabled by that. Like, yeah, you could have done this before with like your Google like address or something like that, I guess. <clears throat> but I think that once you start interacting with services via a public key encryption uh, using some type of like wallet, then you start really maybe buying into the idea of, of what the Web3 stuff is. Right. Yeah. And I think it's cool that you could assemble a whole team, right? Just in your web browser like that. That's and and you're not relying on a central organization to do that, which is really cool. Coordinate. Uh that also just the the ape thing just brings to my mind how I've been thinking about how DAOs are probably gonna be used to replace some form of hedge funds in the future, right? Where you have members voting on like owning securities and we're seeing the new retail boom in the market right now. And I'm just thinking that's gonna be bloody and dangerous and amazing i'm very <laughs> that, that that's some cool stuff i love that ape. the ape's funny natter it was so awesome getting to chat with you this was like really informative not just for myself but i'm sure for like people listening um yeah no it was, it was a pleasure I'm, i appreciate you know the invite and, and allowing me to come on here and 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 yap about all this stuff i really like to talk about it okay so that's it so the two questions that i always ask uh for every one of my episodes uh are um, number one, 
if people want to find out more about you, they probably already know how, but like, well, if you had to direct them to a specific thing or whatever, what are those things you want to, you want to point them to? Yeah, I would just check out uh, my Twitter, Dabit3 on Twitter, and then also my YouTube, Natter Dabit. I have a stream that I do every week called Shadowy Supercutters, where I interview real people in the Web3 space and let them talk about the stuff they're working on. So um, have a good time doing that, and that's on my YouTube channel. Cool. And then uh, who's working on something interesting that you feel like, you know, you want to shout out maybe isn't getting a lot of uh, a lot of attention, and they probably deserve it. So I guess there's two people, if I can nominate that, uh, those two people. <laughs> uh, one of them is uh, Sania Morris. Uh, I'm not sure. I think it's Sania, maybe Sania. But we work together, so I probably should know her uh, her pronunciation a little bit better. But uh, she's she's joined our team at the Graph Protocol, and she has a newsletter that she curates called Web3T. So you can go to her Twitter at S-A-N-I-Y-A-M-O-R-E, um, and she has a link um, in her, for the, the first tweet she has to kind of subscribe to that, to that newsletter. And then the other person is, uh, Alicia and she's on Twitter at future Alicia and also Alicia.eth. And she has kind of joined the community of web three in the last few months. And she's really made a name for herself and seems to be crushing it. And I think if anyone's interested in kind of, you know, following someone that has, recently moved into this space that shares a lot of really great insight and is doing a lot of cool community stuff, then she's someone I would definitely follow. And she has a great YouTube show as well. Um, so you can go to her Twitter, YouTube, uh, and see the link to her YouTube, which is YouTube slash future Alicia. Awesome. We'll put all the links and stuff in the descriptions as per usual. Nader, it was a pleasure. Thank you so much for coming on. Thank you for having me. Thanks for listening to Pod Rocket. Find us at Pod Rocket Pod on Twitter, or you could always email me, even though that's not a popular option. It's Brian at Log Rocket. <laughs>